think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um... He made Matter look stupid, he made Rooney look silly. Now the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 379 of Low Limit Football on this 5th of February, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, rumors swirl that additional sanctions may be coming to Juventus, including an additional 20-point deduction. Will the old lady be returning to Serie B next season? Karim Benzema is subbed off against Valencia this week due to injury, and Kylian Mbappe is ruled out for the first leg of Champions League against Bayern Munich due to injury. Rafa Varan steps away from international football while Mesut Ozil calls it quits completely and the transfer window is closed, a window that saw Chelsea outspend the other top four leagues combined. We're going to discuss that and much more with our very special guest Rob Prattley, football editor and journalist who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, Joe. I'm good. Obviously, here we are another day. Uh, the first episode of the month, actually, we're, we're finally recording in February. So, you know, certainly a lot to talk about. And, you know, I think it's it's always going to be interesting now as the transfer window is finally shut. Now we get to see if teams who have straightened, have weakened as well, are able to contend for whatever they're contending about. Be it titles, European aspirations, just staying in mid-table or to stay off relegation. You know, there's a lot to talk about there and we'll definitely discuss that as well uh with our guest uh today to talk about what chelsea have been doing as kind of the big spenders of not just england but all of the world basically yeah they've, they've pretty much outspent the world um let's let's also like you said uh because we're going to be a, a chelsea heavy show today let's declare a champion okay let's let's do it i know we made some predictions way back at the beginning of the year it seems like god it seems like an eternity ago but normally you and i would um would be kind of Closing up shop here in Germany, um, maybe France, that kind of thing. Never did I think that we would declare a champion in Italy on February 5th. But I think, I think it's time. 
Currently, Napoli sit uh, provisionally 16 points ahead of second place Inter. Inter do have a match at hand at the time of this recording. It's the Derby della Madonnina, which is going off later today, which is going to be um, a spicy affair when Inter and uh, AC Milan get together. So you can't really predict there. So again, provisionally 16 points ahead. They've only lost one match in the entire league. They're the best defensive league in uh, defensive team in Serie A. They're the best offensive team. They posted another three goals today against Spezia, a game that was uh, tied nil-nil at the half. We're going to declare Napoli champions of Serie A. First time, um, oh God, it's got to be 30 years. I didn't I didn't go back and do research on this one. 1990, so it's been the, 33. 33 years, uh, the times of, of Diego Maradona and, and such, that uh, Napoli are going to return to the top of the Serie A table. Uh, and congratulations to the Partenope as they uh, as they claim their title. At least we're declaring it here. We know they've got to have uh, another um, what about seventeen games to seventeen matches to go. But I don't see them losing many of those. So in fact, you and I have talked that they may be um, one of the favorites for the Champions League moving forward here as we get into the round of sixteen coming up. So I think that's where their focus will start to turn here as well. My friend, I have a trivia question for you. And, uh, and uh, yeah, let me lay it on you here. Cause I, like I said, we're going to talk Chelsea uh, quite a bit. So the, the, uh, the question is a Chelsea ish question. We saw this week, Jorginho go from Chelsea to Arsenal. Obviously they had to balance the books, right? <laughs> Just a joke. Um, and so Chelsea uh, sent Jorginho to Arsenal for, I believe it was 12 million pounds. Um, how many players have played for both Arsenal and Chelsea. Ooh. Compliments of Bleacher Report and uh, bonus money if you can tell me uh, some names. Okay. All right. We'll give you that at the end of the show. Let's get into opening thoughts here. And opening thoughts is going to extend into our guest a little later on. We're going to talk about Chelsea's transfer window here. With uh, the, the crowning achievement on an already expensive transfer window Chelsea sign uh, Enzo Fernandez the Argentinian World Cup champion from Benfica for a hundred almost 107 million pounds uh, I believe the total expenditure in the window was somewhere in the 400 million dollar range uh, depending on your conversion and Enzo Fernandez also features this weekend uh, a nil-nil draw for Graham Potter's uh, Chelsea fo- uh, football club and you know, you're looking at the at the moves that they've made. They they've acquired Mudrik, uh, you know, from um, uh, from Shakhtar Donetsk for eighty nine million uh, pounds. You see Enzo Fernandez come on. You see Joao Felix come on in a, a loan move from Atletico Madrid and get a red card. Misses the first few matches. None of these guys have all played together as of yet. And there's there's a, a very small window here for. Graham Potter to get this club moving in the right direction because currently, um, you know, Chelsea are in a position where they are not accustomed to. They're currently sitting mid table. I want to say it's 12th. Um, I'm pulling, I'm pulling up the table right now as we speak. Um, I'm sorry, they're ninth, but still they are currently, uh, six points out of a European position in, um, you know, from the premier league, you've got teams like Newcastle and, and Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and obviously Arsenal, their, their foes, uh, you know, sprinting ahead we haven't even talked about city and united it looks like eric ten Hag has united turned around um the only other shocker here in the premier league is that they are currently one point ahead of liverpool who can't seem to get out of their own way roberto big big changes in the uh, in the transfer window for chelsea 
Uh, loads and loads of players, millions upon millions of dollars spent in this winter window that we normally don't expect to see. What are your thoughts on the moves they made? Are they the right moves at this point for Chelsea Football Club? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the big million dollar question to add in another million. <laughs> Multi million, yeah. 260 uh, million pounds spent in the summer, 292 million pounds spent in the winter, of a total of 552.5 million spent overall in this window and add another million for the question itself but uh, no it's that's it that that really is the the big question for for all of you know people that support Chelsea and just in general who are or are following them because I think you know the fact that this is a, a Chelsea side that is completely changed in a way that you know Todd Bowley comes in changes the the um after the the issues that happened with Roman Abramovich and how much he stayed in power, it was almost like I think twenty years or something like that. They didn't get off to a good start, and I think that was probably where you saw some of these kind of changes happening in the winter. That was it, panic buys. I mean, we know how clubs like to outspend, and and sometimes they like to do it because you know they they need to get on the get go, and I think there is that obligation at Chelsea where they need to be successful. I mean, this is a side that, you know, historically have always contended for the big titles, be it the Premier League, any domestic cups, or a European title, depending on where they're at. Now, like you said, they're currently in ninth place. They still have, what, 17-ish games left in the season. So, and the gap between them going into the Europa League or even a Conference League is, you know, it's, it's quite short. I mean, you've got teams like Brentford, Brighton, Tottenham, Newcastle, you know, those are the teams that are kind of ahead of them that they could potentially beat. So, in theory, they shouldn't be in this situation, and you know they have no obligation to to fail. Really, I mean that's that's really what they're at at the moment. Because I think next season is I, I think for this half season anything can go. I think like obviously the bad start maybe puts them in a precarious situation where they probably won't qualify for Europe. I don't know. I mm. I can't say that. I won't. I'm not gonna have a, a gun to my head and say yeah they won't qualify. I, I just I don't know because I think now with this new side. Anything can happen, and, and you know certainly they need to put it on the get-go. Questions are going to have to be asked about Graham Potter as well. You know him coming in uh, into a side that certainly will have probably he's the one that's under more pressure than anyone else because he's the one that has the responsibility of being able to gel all of these players, mm-hmm. and also having to bear the responsibility on some of these guys and saying that hey maybe you won't get these opportunities maybe like a a Christian Pulisic, a Hakan Ziyech, who everyone thought was going to go to PSG, but that transfer went down. And then many other players who probably won't have the chance and probably will be sold off in the summer. So, yeah, this is this is really... I, I mean, I think it's going to be more of a... I wouldn't say a lost season, because I think if they still qualify for Europe, then it's great. Uh, but I think next season is really where the pressure is going to start going on them, where they need to contend for... For the title, depending on who wins this one, you know, be it Arsenal, be it Man City, even being Manchester United, I mean, they're still in that race as well. I mean, they're the ones that I think will be amongst the favorites for next season. I mean, Liverpool's up there as always, depending on how, what they do next season. But for the Chelsea side, they they have the responsibility in saying that they we, we've spent all this money. We need to contend for all the big titles and that there is no excuse for failure. And so, yeah, I mean, there really is a lot to, to go on, and you know, especially on, on the guy that was spent the most in, in Enzo Fernandez, like you said, World Cup winner, really one of the best young midfielders in the world, and, and that pressure is going to get on him directly. I mean, I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how much that's going to be 
placed on him because as someone that spent so much money, the fact that it's the most expensive uh, transfer spent by a, a British club, I think there is that big responsibility on him more than anyone else aside from from Grand Potter. So yeah, I mean this is this is going to be interesting to see how they close out the rest of the season. If they do make it to Europe, I can't say if they will honestly because we still need to see all of these players gel in cor- completely and then make an assessment. But until then, I mean, we just have to wait and see what this this Chelsea side can do. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at looking at what Chelsea's done, especially in their last five matches, and again, you, you have to kind of look back. This is their their immediate history, um, and these players have not been able to gel yet. They've only scored two goals in those five matches. Uh, they they were able to pick up a one nil victory against uh, Crystal Palace uh, back in January fourteenth, and they did manage a goal against Fulham in a two one loss on January eleventh. Other than that, they've been shut out by Manchester City. They've been shut out by Liverpool. They've been shut out by Fulham uh, in that stretch, you know, with two draws and a loss. So they've only scored 22 goals in 21 matches so far this season. You know, this is this is going to be the issue for Chelsea is where are the goals going to come from. Now, they do have obviously talent up front, Hakim Ziyech, which I do want to talk about that uh, that particular transfer with our guest when he comes in. Um, Enzo Fernandez, obviously, we know how, uh, you know, how talented he is. Mikhail Mudrik, when he came on in the first match, he was his first match he played. He was pretty dynamic, did not show nearly as much in the second match that we saw on the weekend. Um Joao Felix uh, hasn't given us enough and then got red carded and missed three matches. So, I I mean, it's going to take some time. Usually offenses take time. In fact, you know, proof in the pudding here is probably so far the best showing of a a winter acquisition for Chelsea has been Benoit Badiashile, who uh, plays in the back line. They brought him in from Monaco for 35 million pounds to kind of cover Kalido Koulibaly, who's been having a little bit of a struggle uh, recently. And he was fantastic uh, in that nil-nil draw the other day. So, this is this is going to be the concern. Is, is is can Chelsea shut teams out? Sure, of course they can. They're they're very good defensively. They're organized. You know, the injury bug has really really killed them. But uh, can they score the goals? And I'm going to ask you that question first, Roberto, before we ask our guest, because I, you know this is this is where it's at. You know, you, you've got Ziyech, who's probably going to be soured now and not going to be happy with the way things down went down with with his transfer to PSG, how it fell apart. You got Christian Pulisic that's injured. You've got really nobody um, scoring goals for them. So, you know, is this something that Graham Potter can gel quickly enough with the new acquisitions to uh, you know to to score some goals? Yeah, I mean that, that's it. That's really it. Uh, they definitely need to get the goals because that—that's essentially how they're able to get the wins. I know it's cliche to talk about that, but it's true. I mean, yeah. Um, where they come from is a big question, but you know you have to really look at the likes of Mudrik and Sterling and even Aubameyang and and the likes of Fofana and Joao Felix. You know those guys. You don't expect someone that plays in a center midfield position to be someone that is a goal scorer. That's not his position. It never was. But he is someone that could create and could start off attack. So he's kind of the the beginning of everything for Chelsea if they want to go forward. And yeah, I mean, I think this is this is really going to be a big test for Graham Potter, not just for his capabilities as as a manager at Chelsea, but just in general. Because I think you know what he did at Brighton was sensational, trying to get the best out of players that perhaps weren't at the stature of of Chelsea and, and you know being I don't want to say world class but definitely like amongst the best in their position you don't really see that at Brighton maybe with a few exceptions like a Moises Caicedo or or whatnot but mm. I think that is going to bear a lot of pressure on him because I think you know this is someone that is a young English manager many people have even put him as the next 
manager of the England national team. So for him to to be able to demonstrate what he can and then to do it in a Chelsea side where there's a lot of pressure on him, I think it's again it's it's a it's a it's a big squad. Mm. It's it's almost as if it, like you know you feel like. If Chelsea play none, I don't know when they do, but you're going to have to put like a big, not just a regular football pitch, but an actual like NFL pitch just to have all the players on the on the bench. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. But I don't know, Joe. I mean, just looking at the side real quick, I mean, you know, we still have like 17 games left of the season, so anything can happen. But if you look at the squad right now, assuming that they get the results that they need, do you have faith in them to qualify for, for a European spot? Whether or not it could be Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference League. Hell, do you think they even have a chance to make a deep run in the Champions League? I mean, that they're still in that competition, so they, they might be able to do something there. But they should have enough to qualify for Europe, surely. I, I, I think so. Um, you know, let's, let's talk the Champions League aspect of that first. I don't think... Graham Potter is going to get them gelled quickly enough. Champions League's only a couple weeks away. And and that's a massive, massive challenge for him to get everybody on the same page so quickly when you're talking about creating attacking football. Uh, you know, you can you can Jose Mourinho bar, you know, you know, park the bus and block teams out with eleven players. I mean so so defensively they should be fine. But I don't think they're gonna be able to knock goals in you know, and get gelled together to knock goals in quickly enough for Champions League. So I think that's going to be short-lived for them, in my personal opinion. But I do think, I agree with you, where this team is talented enough, and if the injury bug will allow some of these players like the N'Golo Contes and, and Mendy and, and Christian Pulisic to come back, and you know, in a timely manner and add to their, you know, their attacking abilities, then I think that they should definitely make a run to some type of European position. Uh, you know, now if you want to take a look at the at the standings quickly, that that fourth spot is being held currently by Newcastle, which is ten points ahead of them. So that is a challenge. Uh, New, Newcastle is also playing incredibly well, even though they've only they've drawn four of their last five matches. Uh, again, we know that Newcastle is is certainly well capable of of playing you know some talented football, playing incredibly defensive football right now they've only lost one match all season so they're going to be a challenge to catch united we know is on the upswing you know city 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 right so and then arsenal's currently leading the way five points ahead of everybody else so it, it it's going to be hard for chelsea to get into the champions league now when you when you take a step back and look behind that you've got tottenham hotspur um, you've got Brighton. You've got, uh, you know, those are those are the spots that you're looking at to try and catch. And and again, Brighton is only four points ahead. So there is certainly the ability to catch uh, Brighton or Tottenham Hotspur, who's six points ahead, and, uh, and and move into one of those European spots. So I think they can do Europe. I don't think they'll be successful um, moving into Champions League. The Graham Potter aspect and angle is very very interesting, and I think that's something that. We should start out with our guest with. So without further ado, let's get him in here. The Rob Prattley interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, football editor and journalist Rob Prattley joining us. Rob, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. I want to open, Roberto and I were just talking about Graham Potter and um, and what he's doing at Chelsea and all these new pieces that he's picked up onto the bench um, at his disposal. My question to you is, with with the new management in place and Todd Boyle, uh, the owner, and, and with how Chelsea is not exactly at the top of the table at the moment, 
Is this a make or break season for Graham Potter? Is this something that he is already out the door at the end of the season? Or do you think that he can save his season? Um, and what would it take to do that? To be honest, I don't think there's any likelihood at the moment he's out of the door. Um, the owners were very clear that it was going to be a, um, excuse me, the owners were very clear it was going to be a building project and it was going to take time. Um, as has been said multiple times, Thomas Tuchel wasn't sacked for results reasons. He was sacked because of an inability to work within the structure that the new owners want to put in, in the case that they want to have a much more hierarchical structure. In the past, Chelsea were very um, very much Abramovich-centric and quite laissez-faire, I think is the phrase to use. And uh, you know, If Roman Abramovich wanted to sign a player, the manager sort of just had to accept it. Whereas now it's a much more uh, linear recruitment strategy. There are sort of scouts reporting to multiple uh, sort of heads of department who in turn are recommending them to the co-sporting directors and the head of international transfers and they're doing the business. I think Graham Potter has kind of been dealt a bit of a bad hand initially and in that there have been so many injuries at the club and there are injuries in key positions. You know, it's unlucky if you lose one fullback, but to lose both your first choice fullbacks for a long period of time is disruptive. It's unlucky if you lose one midfielder, but to lose two or three of your key midfielders is um, sort of you know, hugely disruptive. And in turn, that means you've then constantly also got to keep changing your system and your patterns of play. Now, what I will say is that I think it's reasonable as a Chelsea fan to expect improvement um, coming into the second half of the season. Now that Potter's started to get players back from injury, um, you know, the injury list is slowly reducing week by week. And also, more importantly, he's been able to bring players in. This is where the buck does stop somewhat and you do expect to see improvement. That said, I don't think there's necessarily a huge amount tied to this specific season because the owners recognised it was going to be a period of transition, a period of rebuilding, and that needed to happen. So I think, to be honest, over the next six months, unless something really catastrophic happens, I think they will stick with him purely because they are invested the money and invested into this project. So I think, yeah, what I will say is that Graham Potter, I think, has been given this season to sort of make mistakes and to elevate things because the hierarchy in two sides have to, firstly, they have to want to show um, they're giving the manager time and they're not necessarily taking a Abramovich-centric approach. Secondly, and I think this is the more important one, um, it's going to take time with all of Graham Potter's projects. You saw it at Ostersund and at Brighton that it takes time. And one of the reasons why Deserby has been able to just... Uh, step into the Brighton helm so easily is because Graham Potter left them a very good squad to work with. That said, I think if you start getting into next season and results really aren't improving, then at that point you really have to look at the manager and say that there needs to be a change because ultimately by that point you will have been given another chance or window, he will have had a chance to move players in, but also the chance to move players out because I'm sure there are players at the squad at the moment that don't feature in his long-term plans. And Rob, I mean, looking at some of this, really the big person that I think is getting going to get most pressure. And I'd like to ask you more about that, because I think when you look at some of the transfers that they made, I mean, obviously they spent a ridiculous amount of money. And I think the big one is obviously breaking the British record on Enzo Fernandez, you know, someone that mm. I think, you know, certainly is a has the potential to become one of the best midfielders in the world. And, you know, certainly has a, a capability of being at that Chelsea side for quite some time. I mean, do you see it that way? Do you see that kind of pressure really placed on him? You know, maybe because he's not 
the goal scorer that Chelsea need in comparison to others, like, I don't know, like Obama Yang, Joe Felix, anyone else, do you think mm-hmm. that might be a bit less? Or, you know, how, how do you really assess that, especially when you look at the business that they've made on other players in different positions as well? Yeah, I think Potter spoke very well on this, actually, um, the other day after the game, in that he was asked about um, Enzo Fernandez, and he said that, about 18 months ago, everyone said the only thing Chelsea needed was a striker and a proven striker, and they went out and brought Romelu Lukaku, and obviously that didn't work out for a number of reasons. What I will say with Enzo Fernandez, I think it was a um, a transfer Chelsea made at the time because they know in the summer there's going to be a much harder market to try and secure the player. They knew that more teams are going to be after him in the summer, you know, a lot of clubs are refreshing their midfield. Uh, I know for a fact that, you know, Manchester City aren't happy with the build of their midfield. Bernardo Silva has wanted to leave for some time. Liverpool were going to need to do major surgery to their midfield. Real Madrid, there is a situation with Camavinga that they're going to need to resolve because the player doesn't really want to play left-back. Bayern Munich are looking for a longer-term replacement for Thomas Muller, and that factors into their midfield thoughts. So I think Chelsea went ahead and paid the money now to avoid the summer auction. And also because the fact, I think they know that this deal is going to have ramifications for other clubs um, in terms of how they value players and how much they want to, you know, spend on players. That said, I do think with Enzo Fernandez, he is the sort of player, you saw it the other day, he has that quality and that star power to be able to elevate other players. And I think even though he'd only been at the club for a couple of days, you could already see the influence he was starting to have. And that's only going to grow as more and more time passes. And I think that's ultimately the thing, is that Chelsea brought him in now, almost to give him six months now to bed in ahead of next season. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And and really looking at also some of the players that um, are, you know, on the squad as well and could be shipped out. I mean, you know, we talked about it in an opening monologue about the likes of Hakan Ziyech, how that transfer to PSG fell off, but many other, as well as other players that maybe won't have opportunities in the future maybe like Christian Pulisic or Conor Gallagher and many others as well I mean how do you assess their situations come next season I mean is this a case where you know with all these transfers that for them that it's kind of you know a lost cause and you know they're just there to to finish off the season or do you feel that for them they could still try to achieve something in this season to at least save their place for for in, in, in the eyes of Graham Potter as being someone that can be reliable for next season yeah, I think definitely you have to take that approach. I don't think any de- firm, definitive decisions have been made over most of the players. I think maybe people like um, Aubameyang, for example, who ultimately at his age is not getting any younger and clearly, for whatever reason, doesn't feature in the manager's thoughts. That probably is more of a sort of, you know, one of the situations where it was a bad transfer. And realistically, I think, you know, I can confidently say if Graham Potter had been in charge, he wouldn't have come in. It was very much a Thomas Tuchel pick. However, I will say that I think for people like um, Pulisic, for example, and Conor Gallagher and some of the younger players, there's still plenty of chances to change the mind and there still are opportunities for that. And indeed, you know, people are talking about Chelsea's season as being a bit of a lost cause. But in reality, due to the fact that no one in the Premier League really can put consistent runs of form together, especially those sides that are sort of from fifth down to about tenth, if you can get a couple of, you know, wins on the bounce and a couple of wins in a row and other teams start dropping points, you can move up and down the league very, very quickly um, and you can sort of move about. So I think it'll be interesting to see if Chelsea, you know, I think over the last couple of games, 
they've started to look so much more solid from a defensive point of view. Obviously, three clean sheets in a row. They actually now have the third best defensive record in terms of clean sheets in the league. Um, what I will say, I do think it will be interesting is seeing if they can crack that side from the attacking perspective. Because if they can then start to balance it, you'll start to then see the results coming. One thing I will um, sort of finish on is that Chelsea have now missed 13 of the last 14 clear-cut opportunities in games. And in total, that's cost them, I think I've seen, 15 points. They've dropped 15 points from potential winning or drawing positions by not being clinical. So it's an element that you need to try and work on that as well and build that clinical edge. And that isn't necessarily something a manager can do. That's something only a player can do. Yeah, I think there's only really so much that a manager can do that ultimately you kind of have to bear in that responsibility to to the players as well. I mean, you know, obviously everyone was talking about how Chelsea have really made their business, you know, in the summer and in the winter as well. But, you know, I'm curious to see what they're going to do in the summer. I mean, you would expect them to t- definitely offload. But, I mean, you know, where do you see them making business come next this summer as well? I mean, I, I think there had been rumors yeah. about the likes of Declan Rice and, and many other positions that, they definitely need to straighten on. I mean, how do you see this really reassuring Chelsea come the summer? And of course, this is all dependent on how they do indeed finish the season because they could still be in a spot to qualify for Europe. They might be mid-table, you know, so those situations can indeed change. But how do you assess them come the summer? And do we expect that kind of big spending uh, made for them um, in the summer? I don't necessarily, I think they will still spend. I don't necessarily think it'll be quite as extravagant as it was this window. But then again, you know, I don't know enough about the new ownership at the moment. They're still so new. It's hard to make definitive statements. In the past, for example, you would know that Roman Abramovich would um, sort of uh, approve the outlay of a significant spend every sort of three or four years on a player. In other years, it would be more standard transfers. Now, what I will say from a Chelsea point of view is that I think they will they have played young players like Ian Martson and Levi Colwell who are out on loan who I think they will look to integrate because they've shown an interest in integrating some of the youngsters. They have people we haven't even touched on like Andre Santos at the moment who's currently with the under twenties um the under twenty Brazil squad who the club are really, really excited for and that was one of the main reasons they were happy to let Jorginho go at the end of the window. Um, because they see him as someone who could really come into the midfield. They've got question marks over Kante and Kovacic in the longer term. So if I was to guess, I think you're probably looking at a decision needs to be made out of the goalkeeping situation, because I think you either have to stick with one of Kepa or Mendy, or alternatively lose them both and bring in a new number one. And I think that's what Chelsea may choose to do. Um, I think they will look at... The defence, I think, is pretty much settled. You have Rhys James and Marlo Gusto arriving, obviously, in the summer. I think the centre-backs, they will look to move on Kaladu Koulibaly, which hasn't really worked out as a transfer, maybe move him back to Italy, and in turn, bring Levi Colwell into the mix. Then they'll have Thiago Silva, Levi Colwell, Wesley Fafana, Benoit Badiashile, and Wesley Fafana, Trevor Chalaber, Badiashile, um, along with Silva and Colwell. And then left-back, they've got to make a decision because you've got Matson doing well on loan, but you've also got Chilwell, who I think they really have missed a lot, I've said. I think Chilwell's been a massive miss and people are only realising quite how much now. And then Mark Kukurea, who I think will come good, but has struggled. The midfield is where I expect to see a lot more surgery. Obviously, you've got young players like Chukwameka and uh, Andre Santos. You've got the question marks over Mount and Gallagher and exactly how they fit into the puzzle. You've got Kovacic and Conte that are both Kovacic, who I think you know, you've got experienced players in that midfield and you have to then make a call on them. Obviously, Conte at the moment is out of contract in the summer. 
I think they will probably give him a new contract. So I think that probably is the closest one of them. So I think you will definitely see surgery in that position. And then the forward positions, well, they've been sort of up for grabs for the last few years at Chelsea. They've got the Lukaku to sort out. But I think realistically, you may see a top number nine or a number nine who really can leave the line brought in, someone like a Vlajevic or an Osimhen, and they will look to move on like Ziyech and, uh, you know, Lukaku, I think definitely. I, I don't know if João Felix will return next season purely because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in the background of Atletico Madrid in the summer. And while I know the player is really happy and enjoying his time already in London and, you know, has said to people he could see himself being there for a long period of time, obviously, Atletico are going to want a significant fee for a player who is incredibly talented, albeit maybe doesn't fit in with Diego Simeone's principles of football. Um, and then you have players like Pulisic, I think, and Gallagher and Mount that are in sort of a question mark bracket of that they could bring in significant funds if you sell them at this moment in time. But at the same time, they've got significant potential for the future. And, you know, I'm one of the people I think with Christian Pulisic. Pulisic, for me, is one of those frustrating players in a sense because he had so much ability and talent and for a combination of injuries and lack of runs of form and lack of consistency at the key times you don't see it but what I think many and Havertz is another player like this but what I think most Chelsea fans are dreading and what I do think will happen if you sell one of them is they'll go on somewhere and they'll absolutely fly a bit like Mohamed Salah when he was sold and Kevin De Bruyne so I think you've got that jeopardy to bake into the thoughts as well. Yeah, and then those are some of the risks that one has to take that, you know, you don't know how a player could do when they do leave, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a case where you just have to go with your, your best feeling, and I think that's that's something that I think a lot of clubs have to, to understand that, too. I wanted to switch gears, actually, into a, a side, actually, that you're more passionate about, and the better Chelsea side, you would say, is the women's side. You know, uh-huh. definitely Emmy, Emma Hayes' side has always been kind of world-renowned as one of the best women's sides in the world. I mean, certainly... This is a team that, you know, here on Alone the Football, we don't really talk a lot about women's football, but we might as well do it right now. It's a side that is very talented, obviously, with the likes of, uh, obviously, Sam Kerr, one of the best players in the world, Lauren James as well, the the, the sister of, of Reese. You know, this is a, a very talented side. And, you know, at the time, you know, they're still in contention to win the the Women's Super League, the, the WSL, the, the main uh, league over there they're still in domestic cups and they're still in the champions league you know they're still they still have to figure out who they're going to play against there but how do you assess this side and you know the fact that they're still up for i think what three four titles to to get a quadruple yeah. i mean is that is that possible i mean how have you really assessed this side because you know the chelsea side has really evolved into one of the best women's sides uh in the world at the moment yeah i mean definitely a quadruple is possible um I don't necessarily think it's likely, but I think it's definitely possible. A couple of years ago, Chelsea did get a domestic treble and also got to the final of the Champions League, albeit beaten by a very, very good Barcelona side um, and, you know, in some definitive fashion. But, yeah, I, I think Chelsea, the big thing they did last summer was they went ahead and they replaced maybe quantity with the squad with real quality. They've now got people like Abe Perisay, who came in the summer, Kadisha Buchanan, obviously the Canadian international and former Leon defender, who is one of the best defenders in the world. And they added that to real quality at the squad. People like Vanilla Harder, Sam Kerr, Lauren James, Fran Kirby, that for other sides, they would be definitive starters and, you know, your star players. But at Chelsea, it's just, you know, a real collection of them. What I do think Chelsea, and again, at time of broadcast, we are, or time of recording at least, we, you know, Chelsea did just go back up to the top of the women's Super League. I think they will be looking at that and they will 
no on the basis that they are the best side in the Super League. There's a reason they've won it, you know, three times in a row. They've won it four times out of the last five years. They are the best team in the competition. And so, consequently, what they need to do in that competition is just make sure they keep playing the way they know. They need to just not endure slip-ups. In the Champions League, it's a bit more difficult because the nature of the Champions League at this point, because there's been such a long gap since, say, the group stages, a lot of sides look very, very different. Leon, for example, really struggled in the group stages, but they have a knack of getting it together for the knockout competition, and they're getting a lot of their key players back. Barcelona have had, you know, injuries, but they still got through the group stages in impressive fashion, and now they're adding Alexia Puteas back to the mix, who is the current, you know, women's Ballon d'Or um, holder. You've got clubs like Wolfsburg and Bayern that have been there, done that. They know what to do and they've just got such quality pace and power across the pitch and then you know I can't also discount people like Arsenal obviously have had a lot of injuries recently but they themselves have European pedigree um, AS Roma have been the surprise package this year and Paris Saint-Germain also you know they've got through the groups and have not got through they came through so I think realistically you're looking at a lot of sides in the Champions League that can win it I think Chelsea have as good a chance as anyone a lot of it depends on that draw um, you know, you're in the quarterfinals at this point, two-legged quarterfinal. You win that, you're suddenly in the last four. Anything can happen in a semi-final. Then by the time you got to a final, I do think Chelsea's experience of losing the last final will weigh on their mind. I think it will make them determined not to do it again. And I think it will help the fact that this time around they will have crowds in their last time. It was sort of a bit of a soulless atmosphere when they went 1-0 down and then, you know, continued the second quickly. You saw heads drop. It was a strange, strange game. Um, and uh, yeah, I I think you know I think Chelsea will be definitely up there at the end of the season. How many trophies they win remains to be seen. But I will say that you know, in terms of Chelsea women, not winning at least two trophies will be considered a failure due to the nature of how the side operate. And the same with Leon or with Wolfsburg, for example. That's just how the elite sides operate in the women's game. You know, on a side note, uh, the recovery of Alexis Patelis, uh to come back for Barcelona has been pretty remarkable because it just feels like, you know, I I, I want to say her injury was was maybe six seven months ago. So for her to be mm-hmm. in position yeah. to 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 you know affect uh, their their run at Barcelona is pretty incredible. Um, I want to stick with the uh, the Champions League and come back to the men quickly because Chelsea Football Club in ten days will face Borussia Dortmund, a, a Dortmund side that right now is sitting tied for second with Bayern Munich in the. Um, in the German Bundesliga, a tight, tight, tight race, one of the tightest races in Europe. They're winners of four straight. They get Sebastian Heller back after his um, testicular cancer treatment. Um, it looks like he's back to, to full strength. They get a, a, an angry Gio Reyna, um, who, yeah. you know, and we all know about uh, what's happened with U.S. soccer with him. And then he went back to Dortmund and just started scoring goals. How do you see Chelsea Football Club managing against Borussia Dortmund, especially with all these additions coming in so quickly and Potter really having very little time to kind of get them to mesh together? Honestly, I think it's one of the most fascinating ties in the next round because you've got a Dortmund side that, although they have been free-scoring, they also conceded some pretty awful goals from a defensive point of view in this part of the season. And they've been reliant on the fact that maybe teams haven't been clinical against them at times. At the same time, they've looked very potent going forward. And then they're coming up against the Chelsea side that look better from a defensive point of view, but are lacking that clinical edge going forward. I think it could be a real, real open game. Um, I think it will... You know, ultimately Chelsea will look at it and will think it's a winnable tie. Obviously, you've got the added narrative of Jude Bellingham against an English club, another chance of him to audition as per se. Um, and I think, 
I think Chelsea will be quietly confident going into it regardless because European football is very different to club football. Say it's very different to a game against like Fulham on Friday where Fulham for came with a game plan to sort of sit in, be tight and compact and play for a point and play on the counter-attack. I don't think Dortmund will be like that. I think especially at home, I think they will have a determination to be open and people like Mihailo Mudric and Noni Madueke with how direct they are, or well, at least Mudric, sorry, in the Champions League, Madueke is in the squad. Um, with Mudric in the uh, sort of squad and I think, you know, increasingly players coming back to full fitness and, you know, integrating Enzo Fernandez in, they can really cause damage and, with people like Jao Felix as well, who've been there and done that. They have a lot of Champions League experience. They're very good players. And they often do impress on Champions League nights. I think it's a um, you know, real good, entertaining tie, and it'll be a great game for the neutral. Now, I have one more question. I want to go full circle and go back to the, uh, the the transfer window here for Chelsea before we let you go. When you look at the the players that they've brought in between Enzo Fernandez, uh, Mikel Mudrik, um, Badia Chile uh, from Monaco, who many would say was the shining star uh, on the weekend, and, and others, Joao Felix, uh, you know, Madueke coming over from PSV. When we look back on this winter transfer window at the end of the season, which, if you had to pick one player that is going to be the the brightest star and the biggest contributor to Chelsea Football Club to whatever they accomplish for the season, which one player would you point out? I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be cheeky here and put two in because I think that there's uh, because Badiashile is not in the Champions League squad. Right. I'm reticent to say his name. However, I think Benoit Badiashile. He's someone the club scouted for a long, long time. He's someone. The club have liked for a long, long time. Chelsea beat off quite a lot of competition to get him in. And I think so far he's taking to the Premier League football like a duck to water. He looks so composed. He looks very strong. He's got pace. He looks like a modern sort of archetypal centre-back in terms of the athleticism and strength. His passing ability has also impressed me and his composure from the defence. I think that's, you know, a real sort of boon and benefit for Chelsea. And I think he'll be big. But in Champions League terms, I think it will be Joao Felix. Um... I think that it was a exp- very expensive loan deal, obviously, and you know, didn't get off to the most conspicuous of starts for a red card on debut. But he has that quality and that star power to decide games by himself. And that's maybe been something Chelsea have lacked in the last few years. And while I think Mudrich can certainly do that as well, I think Madueke has the potential to be able to do that. I think Felix is there as that complete package that's been there and done that on Champions League nights. And so... I think he will play a big part into whatever Chelsea end up achieving soon. Fantastic stuff. Rob, before we let you go, I, I've got to say that I was looking through your uh, Linktree link, and it is absolutely fascinating. So um, can you let people know where they can find your work? Yeah, so I would say, firstly, if you follow, if you're interested in women's transfers, I'm the senior transfer at, at, at a football, so at, at a football on Twitter. And if you want my more normal content, including my... Uh, Recent scoop on the Enzo Fernandez transfer, which I was very proud of writing, uh, released it last week. It's uh, at RJP Journalism. Fantastic stuff. Rob, thank you for joining us on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. All the best, and we look forward to having you back again soon. Marvellous. Thank you very much, guys. And special thanks again to Rob Prattley for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got a full week of matches here coming up, um, including a, a doubleheader that I kind of threw in the mix uh, because it was interesting to see it. So I'll give you the matches of the week coming up this week. On Tuesday, we're going to go to the Club World Cup with Flamengo facing Al-Hilal at 2 p.m. in the uh, first semifinal. And then on Wednesday in the second semifinal, Al-Ali facing Real Madrid at 2 p.m. as well. Wednesday brings us the first of our doubleheaders in Man United-Leeds, an EPL matchup at 3 p.m., Leeds-United States of America, as many would like to call them. Then we're going to go fast forward to Saturday. 
which on Saturday will have the third place match of the Club World Cup at 10.30 a.m., followed by the big one, Monaco PSG at 11 a.m., Leipzig Union Berlin at 12.30 p.m., and then the final of the Club World Cup at 2 p.m. We're going to close out Saturday with, it's a very busy Saturday, Lazio and Atalanta in the Serie A, 2.45 p.m. And then on Sunday, the second of that doubleheader leads Man United on the reverse fixture, 9 a.m. on Sunday, and we're going to close the weekend with Villarreal and Barcelona at 3 p.m. The trivia question, my friend, I gave it to you earlier. Uh, with Jorginho moving to uh, Arsenal from Chelsea, including Jorginho, how many players have made that journey one way or the other? And uh, bonus points if you can give me some names. Oh, man, the names are going to be tough because there's been so many, but I don't know how many. Okay. Um, but I, I will name you some, actually. Um, in terms of a number? Yeah, let's do number first. Yeah, I feel like it's more than it should be. Okay. Um, would it be bad to say that it's double? It's in the double digits. There are double digits. Yes, I um, and I will give you a higher or lower when you give me uh, a okay. guess. I mean, in history, I mean, there's been so many. I'm gonna go out and say fifteen. Lower. Lower than fifteen. Lower than fifteen. Okay. Uh, this is according to Bleacher the, Report. So if it's yeah, wrong, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, yell at them. And it's and it's. And it's um, Double digits. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12. 10. 10 Ooh. players. Okay. And that includes Jorginho. Um, yep. So if you want to give me a couple names and uh, and then I'll give you the entire list. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So Jorginho. Yep. Ashley Cole. Yep. Uh, Oliver Giroud. Yep. William. William, yeah. Uh, there's a heavy, there's a heavy bar, uh, Brazilian list here between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's. David Luiz, yep. David Luiz, that's <laughs> then right. Then remember Brazilian, so yep, yeah, that's one. Uh, it, would it help if you give me the nationality? Maybe that would be different. Well, one was one was a famous. Actually, he, he works. He actually until recently he was working in the front office for Chelsea. After his playing career, this is a big one. Uh, oh, Arsenal. It's a big one. I feel. I feel like I should know that. How oh, big? Yeah, this one you're gonna you're gonna kick yourself when I tell you. Oh man! You ready? Arsenal. Yeah, go for it. Wow, I can't think right now. Go for it. Petr Cech. Of course. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I'll give you the. I'll give you the last. Yep. Uh, I'll go give you the last one. So you got, you got Jorginho, Olivier Giroud, David Luiz, Ashley Cole, William. I gave you Petr Cech. Cesc Fabregas mm-hmm, is another one. Yeah, yeah. Nicholas Anelka. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and the last two who did not win trophies with Arsenal. All these players have won, except for Jorginho, of course, because he's only been there a couple days. Um, all of these players have won trophies with both Arsenal and Chelsea, except for these two players, William Gallas mm-hmm. and Yossi Benayoun. Okay. Uh, right. Did I tell you Nicholas Anelka was on the list? You, you did. Okay, good. And he won, uh, he won trophies for both. So the 10 players that have played for both Chelsea Football Club and Arsenal Jorginho, Olivier Giroud, David Luiz, Ashley Cole, William, William Gallas, Cesc Fabregas, Peter Cech, Yossi Benayoun, and Nicholas Anelka from Bleacher Report. So, without anything left on the plan, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Yes. All right, here we go. So for episode 379 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Rob Prattley for joining us on the show. We are off next week and we'll be turning, uh, we'll be returning the week of, I believe that is the 26th to give you uh, updates on Champions League, the title races in Europe, see if we can declare another winner as well. So for episode 379 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>